Hi, and welcome to another Film 5.0 podcast. Today we have my co-host and co-founder, Steve Hiller, and I am Linda Gasco or Gutchko, depending on if you want to be authentic or Americanize my name. <laughs> um, classic Hungarian names. Classic Hungarian. There's only a few of us in this world, so yeah. yeah. Thank, thank heaven. <laughs> yeah, right. So today we thought we would talk about some of the people that we have worked with, um, directors namely, and, you know, talk about our experiences with some, you know, big A-list directors. So we thought we would start out with Steve today. And oh he had a life actually before me as his, his assistant. So I guess that would be LL, Life Before Linda. Uh, <laughs> LBL. LBL, okay. LBL. Um, so we're gonna, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive into talking to Steve about some of these people and um, yeah, all right. So, yeah. Steve, we we talk. We have a list here. Uh, let's talk yeah. about the first one, which is well, who would you pick? Well, I would pick John Landis because John Landis was my first actual union film job. I, I had done a film before that uh, in Chicago, a, a non-union film, low-budget film called Towing, where I was the PA on it and. Uh, I wound up being the driver for Sue Lyon. Um, some of you may not remember her, but there was a movie back in the 60s called Dolita. She was 13, and she was the uh, the young girl. She was Lolita. Anyway, um, uh, sadly, I read she just recently passed away, but uh, that's another story, and um, we, all, we all go there someday. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that was my first film. But my first film on the union, as a union, I came out on Blues Brothers and um, they'd already started and they and, and I was hired as a second assistant but when I got there I I learned that they needed a loader and um, and uh, I figured I was pretty capable of being a loader it was mostly airy stuff the, the film was Panavision but there were a lot of cameras because if, you, if you've seen Blues Brothers there was a lot of stunts a lot of craziness so a lot of the cameras that were not primary cameras were Aries. Uh, and, um, so I was, you know, I wound up being in the loading room. Now, John Landis was the director. I, I only knew John Landis because of Animal House, and um, which was only just a short time before that, and that, that too was a John Belushi film. And, uh, but ha being so busy on some of my early films, I can't say that I that I got to know the directors very well. And, you know, it wasn't until later when I was a first or an operator, especially where I got to know the directors well, although I witnessed how they worked and, and sometimes was intimidated and sometimes not. But um, well, I, th Landis, I think that's that's sort of the point is like yeah. you, at, you at least got to watch them and, and be oh, yeah. around them and, and see how they work. <clears throat> and he's a Chicago guy. Oh, that I didn't even know. Yeah. That's, so that's why we were here. <laughs> Who knew? It's only been 45 years. Who knew? So, but I didn't know that. But he 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 seemed happy here. And I, and what I what I remember about John mostly was that he was pretty hands on and pretty active, and he had a pretty decent sense of humor. Fortunately, because that film was crazy, and uh, you know, a lot of the things that he created in the in the film were pretty funny and. Um, and and I I just remember, 
you know, the, the, the little contact with I had with him directly, he was very hands-on. In fact, well, I remember once we were we, we were in a, uh, at the mall where we did all the crash stuff at the mall. For some reason, he was picking out some, some, some pictures that he wanted to see on the wall, like some prints. And uh, for, I don't know how it happened, but I wound up sitting on the floor with him and, and this other girl, PA, going through photographs to get the three of us. And um, he had said that he liked this one. And I said, no, I don't like that one. And he goes, oh, are you? <laughs> and he looked at me and goes, you're so fired. And I go, oh, okay. But he was joking, but, but I didn't know. I mean, it was like, but, and then and he put his hand on my shoulder and laughed. But I, I said, okay, I like it. So anyway, that was my only real contact with him, except maybe in the toy store, um, before they crashed to the toy store, he was, we were, you know, I was out there because I was going to do Slate, and he was pretty hands-on putting the right toys in the right place and stuff. So I remember that. He was always involved. And, um, you know, like I say, if anybody's seen the film, they know how crazy it was. And there was, it still, I think, holds the record for the most car crashes. And uh, I believe it does. I think it does. And there's no CGI then. It was all real. And, um, you know, and I remember... Uh, after after we do shots that were, you know, some of the shots were pretty, pretty controlled, you know, like one on one shots. But some of the big shots, and he would always make, you know, make the rounds, make sure everybody, all the cameras were okay and everybody was all right. Because there were situations where you had to ask if everybody was okay. In fact, there's one shot in the film where I was in a station. I, I'll describe the scene. It's under the L tracks in Chicago when all the cars are chasing the Blues Brothers. And it turns into this giant crash. Yeah, the pileup, right? The pileup. And um, we had multiple cameras. And I was in a, in a station wagon on the street, hidden because other cameras could see us. And, um, and that's part of the problem with the film. Cameras were always looking at each other, so we always had to hide everything. So, so um, in that particular shot, I was in the... Station wagon with Bill Birch, the late Bill Birch. He was just was, was he operating? He was. Is that operating. why you were there? Okay. I was. With, so it wasn't was a with, it wasn't a lock off or anything like that. Uh, it wasn't really a lock off. I mean, he had control, but we were hiding in the. But Bill Birch was the Chicago DP on, DP on the show, and um, and um, Steve Katz was the was the normal DP from LA. But um, anyway, um, Bill was there, and him and I were in this sta- station wagon. And if you, it's in the movie, you'll see it. One of the cars comes sliding at us and actually hits, hits our car. <laughs> Everything shakes, and you know, I, you know, Bill is always pretty calm. And I, I spent a lot of years with Bill. I loved him a lot. But he, uh, he, we just sort of laughed about it, and we said, "Well, hopefully it doesn't get any worse than that." And it really never did for us. But, uh, but he was he was the right person to be with. And, uh, but uh, after that, I remember after that scene. There was a huge check, and like cars were flipped over, and there was a driver in all of them, and so everybody made the rounds, including John Landis, to see if if everybody was okay. And the stunt guys, I don't, they probably had a hundred stunt people on that show. It's like, but anyway, so that was the. I mean, I just remember that about him. He was very hands-on, and uh, and had a, had a good sense of humor. Fortunately, and uh, like I say, I was a loader on. Multiple cameras. Some, you know, I, there were days when I was just a second doing slate for multiple cameras, and um, 
and I, I'm not even sure why I was in the station wagon. I wasn't the focus puller. Maybe I, I that's, was. That was my <laughs> question. It's like, I mean, why are you there? Well, and they know it's I mean, going to crash. Well, I mean, we, somebody had to be. I, I mean, maybe that day I was the focus puller because, like I say, I jumped around a lot on that film and never really had enough time to get to know the director very well, except for that yeah. one photograph experience. But you know, I came away from it. Think. Liking him, you know, he, you know, he's got a reputation of being kind of wacky, and he, things have happened. But, but my experience was that that it was a good experience. Although it, I have to say that it it made me afraid of the business because <laughs> no, it really. I mean, honestly, rightly it really, so. It really did because when we did the mall scene, driving through the mall and all the crashing through windows and glass and stuff. I mean, there were several cases where. You know, I'm I'm in the shot, but hiding behind something because I'd do the slate, and then in the toy store I would duck in a, and you know I remember the toy store. I could hear them coming outside; they were going to crash through the wall, and and I did the slate and jumped behind some some racks of toys, and all the other people were, were stunt people, just kind of walking like customers, and they knew what to do. I didn't, except hide. But you know, right when I did the slate and moved, the car came crashing. Through the wall, and you know, I didn't even know where it was gonna go. Well, they did, I didn't, but so it crashed through the wall and um, stuff like that. And then, and then when they did the chase in the mall, the cars were spinning and turning, and they would turn and and drive away from us. Some of the cameras and their tires would would peel, and they'd throw glass because all the windows were broken. It throw pieces of glass at everybody, and it was all real glass. They didn't prep anything, so. You know, I remember there was one shot I was with, with George Kohut, also a, a camera guy that I loved, and he, I did like George Kohut, and and uh, we were hidden behind a bunch of stuff so the other cameras couldn't see us. But when the shot was over, there were big pieces of glass that were stuck, like in the, <laughs> in the stuck in the trim behind us, like big jagged, like right over our heads and stuff. Big pieces of glass, stuff that would take your head off, but but like stuck in the wall behind us were. And I'm thinking, this is insane. Like, and so no plexiglass or anything oh, in front no, of no, you, huh? all, no safety? All, no, no. It was all, it, there was no time. It, we just did it. And then, That's crazy. You know, I just remember hiding in the mall. And, you know, I can see the movie and, and say, oh, I was hiding there and I was hiding there. And, you know, I do this late. And there was an Oldsmobile dealer where I, I hid behind the, there was a little, there was windows and there was a little ledge where I slated inside the dealer and jumped down behind the, the, the the wall, but uh, it, yeah, I know it yeah. was crazy. But you know that's that's my memories of it. Like I say, I I didn't know John Landis very well, and I and I didn't know him when I was over because I was pretty busy. But but I did have I did have a good memory of the show, so it must have been okay, except that's for being good. yeah afraid be, for being afraid all the time. So well, you know what? That's a uh, a good thing to talk about. Just quickly, is uh, as a second, you know really think about where you're going to go after you slate, especially in those situations, you know, as, and I've done a ton of that where it's like, okay, I'm going to go there. And a lot of times if we had stunt people or something was going on, I would check with stunts. Is is anything going to go on over there? Cause that's where I'm ditching to, you know? Uh, so yeah, figuring out where you're going to go afterwards is a huge part of that. You know, yeah. slate, you got to go. Yeah. More on that film than, I mean, fortunately, it was never that bad again. But, but there were a couple moments, and I I can talk about that when I talk about Tony Richardson on the border. But uh, yeah, 
but 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 there was I never worked on a film that was quite that dangerous except well, for maybe I mean, ba backdraft maybe. So, so. Yeah, yeah, that would have been. Yeah. I've heard yeah. stories about the, you know from the guys in Chicago that had, yeah. that worked on that. But um, yeah, it's uh, you know old school. But if you if you look at the film at Blues Brothers, you know now that I'm you know in the business and I I see it and it's one of my favorites. You know, I'll I'll go okay. I'll look at the shots and go, oh, that that was probably a two C buried over here. That was probably this buried over here, or yeah. that was a camera with a you know with a switch that they could just roll from a distance, yeah. you know, a remote. Yeah, because um, yeah, there was just so much going on. Uh, I mean, uh, there was, but a lot of the cameras were actually manned. I mean, I guess there were a couple locked off cameras, but. Well, the, I don't it's, remember, I don't the, remember the, many. So. Okay, so the, uh, the, it's the one under the L that I'm thinking about, and then it's the one in the highway where they all are coming off the highway and they all pile in oh, uh, yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that one? And yep. there's a truck and and every and at one point there's a, a you know it's got to be in the car somewhere and the and another squad car comes over the cameras it's like right. wow yeah that was all the state police cars they all went yeah. out the road yeah that was all of them with drivers in them it's like insane so but uh, yeah. they, we might have had some locked off cameras down below for that but i remember being up on the road you know and you know from from shot to shot in that movie i i can't actually remember what i was doing mostly slate in between loading and Maybe firsting a couple times, but probably not very much. Yeah, well, if if you were the loader on that, you certainly had your hands full uh, yeah, with uh, multiple cameras like that and multiple <coughs> magazines and, oh, gosh. Yeah. I was very busy. And like like you said, the two Cs were the, the primary cameras, but not the primary, but for all the stunt work, the two Cs were pretty busy. And then the main cameras for dialogue and scenes, more quieter scenes, were Panaflex. Um, yeah, but uh, I remember one particular scene where um, it's hard to describe. But they were—I think they were at a place of what, what do you call the places where you you sell stuff and put it on hold and you can buy it back, like a pawn shop. Yeah. Oh, like uh, a, the music store. Yeah, the music store where they mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. They were. It was a really tight shot of the guy behind the the window and Ray I remember, Charles. <laughs> I remember the DP had 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 lit this very meticulously with little flags and little little cutters and things and you know I kind of had to sneak a slate in to do it and it was one camera I'm, I I guess I'd moved up at that point because <laughs> I, I was doing the slate on the A camera or maybe what do we I was got today maybe Steve, I was slating, Steven today I don't know maybe I was slating for everybody I don't know but but I remember sneaking into the shot and doing the slate and when I was leaving I I hit a stand, which hit another stand, and and all these little things oh, that had been rigged. Wow. Really, probably the most intricate shot in the whole film, and stuff kind of fell and collapsed, and I was horrified. But, but I remember. I mean, I remember Landis. He said something about, "Well, shit happens," and he, they nobody got pissed. And the cameraman, the DP, was great. I mean, he just, as I was saying, he says, "He says, he's don't worry about it." He says. We'll fix it. And he said, there were things I didn't like anyway or something like that. But but nobody gave me any shit. But I was horrified. And like I thought, oh, no, oh yeah. Here. So, but it was, but it, but the show was like that where everybody was nice and it was forgiving. But, you know, that was the one moment where I could have really been 
in trouble. Chewed out. But, but nobody gave me any shit at all, so it was great. So, That's good. So, I mean, it, you know, trial by fire, you were really thrown in it. Oh, totally. So. You know, and the fact that you came out okay and that people were nice and were like, listen, that happens. Yeah. Um, you know, we know DPs that wouldn't handle it that way. Oh, um, yeah. He was, and, I mean, he couldn't have been a bit nicer, Kat, the director, the DP on that, and Landis, so. Well, I mean, nobody, I didn't hear anything about that from anybody. Nobody said a word. Like, I mean, I might have been teased by some of the camera people, but yeah. but uh, like you said, I came out on that film. You know, they'd already started. They needed extra people all the time. So the day I was there, the first AD from LA said, uh, "We need a loader," and uh, and I said, "Well, you have one." He said, "Well, you know, we're having. You know, we need." There's there's too much for him to do or something. We need somebody. So I, do you want to stay on? I was more than happy to stay on. That, you know, having, yeah. You know, but but I spent a lot of time on the set. I don't know if I stayed the loader. I must have, because I remember slating a lot. But that well, maybe you were like in addition to, yeah, you know, like if he to, so. he couldn't do it, then yeah. you stepped yeah. in. I mean, I mean we. I, you know, I've I've loaded three or four cameras, but to do that on a consistent basis and keep it yes. going, I mean, yeah, it'd hard. be nice to have another pair of hands we, in there. We, I prob we probably did. Now, the other thing that people don't realize back then, there was no dif there was no dif differentiation between the loader and the mm, second loader. Second, second, yeah. Many times you were the same person, and uh, clapper and loader, right? Clapper loader, and and and. I mean, my next film with on the border was, I was the second assistant and the loader. So, but that was for the B camera, which was okay. It gave me yeah. some time to, but 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 it, but I was doing both. There was no separate person as a loader. It wasn't until I think Terms of Endearment where I actually got to hire a loader. That was three or four films down the road, down the line. So, but. Um, yeah. Well, you know, that's also back when they were, it was film and they were doing bigger lighting setups and you can have that time to go to the truck, yeah, you know, sometimes. after the camera yeah. set, that, you know, as a second loader, that's when you would go and, you know, do your paperwork and load yeah. and get things ready to, and then be able to come back, you know, so. Yes. Many, many times that was, you had time. Yeah. But, I All mean, right. It, well, that was a great segue into uh, your next. <laughs> your next oh, the border. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now back in those days, now people don't know this then, that there were three camera locos in the United States, New York, Midwest, and L.A. And um, one of the requirements that L.A. had was um, that if they worked in our territory and all the other territories, they had to hire a certain number of people from the territory. You know, now it's all one local, so it kind of mixed up. But, but so I was fortunate then because... When they when I, when I was hired to do the border in El Paso, Texas, that was our territory, and um, the B crew, the crew from, or the B camera, all came from the Midwest. The B, the operator was from Texas. First assistant and me, second assistant slash loader was from Chicago. So um, now that was with a guy Tony Richardson. Now, now, I grew up loving films, and you know, I you know I can remember. Hundreds of films that I watched in the '60s and '70s, you know, not realizing that I'd ever be on one of these films. Like I said, it wasn't until after I was in Vietnam in the Marines that I went to film school. But, but Tony Richardson, when I went on the film, it didn't mean much to me. Although I, I didn't know that I'd seen some films 
that I that I really love that he had done. One of them was uh, was the loved one with uh, mm-hmm. back in the day it was with Jonathan Winter was in it. It was this totally brilliant hysterical film called The Loved One. If you get a chance to see it, do it. And um, and then uh, and then the other film that he did, and I didn't know this when I showed up on the set, was the the loneliness of the long distance runner, which was another great film, and uh, that might have been that might have been, even been a nominated film, but it was a great film. And anyway, um, Tony again, uh, again, I was, I remember his demeanor demeanor on the set. He was he was always quiet, British guy, and um, always quiet. He, he, I never really know remember noticing anything that 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 startled me or anything. He he would talk to the actors quietly. Jack Nicholson was the main actor. Harvey Keitel was on it. And uh, Lapidia from Mexico was on it. This is The Border, you know, getting back to that, was a, a very timely film then and now. It's a movie that if, if, if you want to see what's going on on the border with the Border Patrol, Nicholson plays a, a, a sympathetic Border Patrol guy. And and the and the situations that occur that he has to deal with it's it's a touching film a brilliant film and um, and uh, again I, I met Harvey Keitel but but Tony I just remember Tony was quiet I I never remember his voice his voice because when he would talk to actors it would always be quietly and 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 quietly but but you know again it was a film where I I never felt intimidated by the director, like, ever. Like, Rick White was the DP, and um, and he was a good guy, and I'd never met him before, and we got along great. And I, I did films with him afterwards, including the movie Teachers, uh, year, years later in, in Columbus, Ohio, and um, but as the DP. But anyway, um, the film, the, Tony was a good guy, and um, but uh, I just, like I say, I, I wasn't paying attention when I was watching films before that, at who the directors were. I mean, some people are really into that. I never, I, I don't, I, you know. Well, I we didn't have IMBD then as well. No, I don't even know if I was big on watching credits until I got in the business. Now I always do, but uh, just at, not because I'm probably going to recognize somebody, which I do, but just out of respect. I just think those people work. You know, some, you know, maybe if I sit there, somebody else will sit there and, just give them the credit. That well, right now it's professional courtesy between, right, yeah. Yeah. for people and who work is. on it. But, it I mean, as a kid, I always stayed and, you know, watched that. I thought that was so cool, and I also was always hoping that my name would be in there, too. <laughs> I don't know if I if I stayed or not, but I, I certainly never, I mean, like in the names I just finished, The Loved One and The Loneliness of the, I didn't remember who the director was. Uh, yeah. And to this, but I just didn't, and even though I liked film, I think I was more interested in the in the look of it and the the science of of, of motion pictures because you know I bought a movie camera when I was fourteen years old. I just loved that kind of stuff, and I didn't think about the fact that there were people making these films. Like you know, like I certainly didn't think it was going to be me. But you know, I've said it before in some of our other podcasts that somebody's got to do it, and if you love it then it could be you because somebody's doing it and they all a lot of those people probably had the same same thoughts that I did that they'd never be a part of it but but it can happen and I was older because I had been in the Marines and went to college and you know I'd started I went I didn't even do my first film time I was like 30 years old so but a lot of people start younger and and a lot of them 
pay pay attention to that stuff. So, you know, the the business is available to everybody. If you have a passion for it, you know, pay attention and figure out how to do it. It's there. And um, like right. I say, some somebody's got to do it. So, but anyway, that was my first experience with um, Jack Nicholson on the border, and uh, and and I knew him, of course, from Taxi Driver and all that other stuff. But oh, was that? No, that wasn't Nicholas. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> that Nero. That's that another Nero. guy that you yeah, worked with. Another guy. I get it mixed. <laughs> I get it mixed up because I've I've worked with both of them several times. But, yeah. Uh, but Nicholson, that was a big deal for me. And um, but I, I know that he had done the, that movie with Laszlo. Uh, what was that movie? Uh, Laszlo Kovac early on, the motorcycle movie with. Uh, oh 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 yeah, Easy Rider. Uh, Easy Rider. Yeah. yeah. But he, uh, but. Um, but I, I remember from that and some other things. But uh, so he was already a movie star. So I was kind of impressed with that. But but Jack was very professional and you know and really focused. And, you know he wasn't somebody you'd pal around with, you know, on stuff. But uh, he was pretty focused. But but he he understood the crew and 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 as a parting gift when we left the, the border, he. He made appointments for everybody to go to this boot store. This was 1981, so boots, cowboy boots were a pretty big deal. And they were making a lot of them in El Paso. So we all went to boot store and got fitted for a pair of cowboy boots that he bought. Ooh. And it, it's engraved on the side of it is the border. I still have them today. They're fantastic. But Wow, uh, that's cool. Yeah, it was a very cool gift. They're, they were easily two or $300 a piece. They were really custom built and them. Uh, I, I should that. say that uh, back w- when I first started, and obviously you can, you know, Steve was before me, uh, rap gifts were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, they yeah. really were. It's like now yes. it's like, what? We don't have anything, you know? Yeah, I, don't, I guess they don't really do that anymore. No, no. Maybe I mean, not. you know, half of my wardrobe was <laughs> things we got I'm, from films, right? I got some got some great jackets on yeah. films that, I could, that are you know, that people have offered to buy, you know, like some of them are, you know, from the couple of films, people, are, you know, like they're worth a lot of money. I'd, well, that's a great segue, Steve. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. How, how did you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Segwaying into my next film, it was a situation where the guy that I worked with on the border, uh, Alex Tuyero, the first assistant on the A-camera, he knew Dusty Blalo, who was an assistant cameraman, going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to do a movie called The Outsiders, which is a lot of people know about. And, and I certainly knew who Francis Coppola was, and I after the Godfather movies, and 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 one of my favorite films of all time was uh, a movie called The Conversation, and another movie that people should see. It was a wonderful film. But uh, anyway, uh, I knew who he was, so. Uh, I was hired by Dusty because of Alex, because they had to hire somebody. So, you know, this this was pretty much a one-camera thing. So it would be Alex and me, and I was also the loader. So, um, so I went to Tulsa and got there early and got to meet the, some of the cast and some of the crew. I remember going to a pre-part pre pre-production party with Diane Lane. She was 16 at the time, and, wow. and we were in we were in the hotel waiting for. A, a ride I didn't know she was, and she asked me if you were going, if I was going to, and so we shared a cab, and uh, you know, like, and Diane Lane, everybody knows who she is now, but, but anyway, um, so I was a loader on that film, and uh, 
the director who we're talking about was Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, I like Francis for so many reasons. Now, one of the things that he did before we started shooting, and, and, and we had met, and he'd had the pre-party and all that stuff, but he had taken the actors out, all these young kids, and they're all stars now. But uh, And he had shot the whole movie with a video camera from location to location and just gone through everything with a video camera. I, I, I kind of knew he had done that, but... I mean, who? Who? I mean, nowadays people might yeah. do that, but not. You know, we didn't do that with key actors nowadays. But, but see, there were no. I mean, the only person that was known on that film probably was Patrick Swayze, but, but not by not by much. He done. A yeah, but you're talking about yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. and he could pretty much do, you know, yeah. what he wanted. I mean, he's a well-known director. So yeah. if you said, "Hey, guys, we're going to go do that," they probably all went, "Hell yeah!" Well, they did, and 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 what I realized, you know, when I knew about all this was that. He knew he was working with, with with new actors, and they were all young. They were all under twenty, except for Patrick probably was too. But but he figured by doing that, he would get them to know each other, one, and get to get a sense of the characters too, and the locations. And it was it was brilliant. I mean, I mean, I'm every. I mean, Francis is brilliant. Everybody knows yeah, that. But, yes. But I. But but on the set, like interestingly enough, he. Directed from his motorhome, um, <laughs> we called it the Silverfish. It was a, a silver motorhome, which blew my mind at the time. But, but, but the re the reason he did that was because he was recording everything. We were shooting on film, but through the feed of the camera, he was recording everything and kind of editing as he was going along to see what wow. cut and stuff. But I mean, the, the whole inside of the Silverfish was like an editing booth, and you know, this is nineteen eighty. Two, you know, it was like pretty early on, but uh, yeah. but you know, you know, he'd come to the set, you know, once in a while to talk to people, and I I remember one particular occasion where we were setting up in a car, and there were a lot of car stuff, and and he came out, and the the sound guy was um, uh, Mr. Webb was setting up something, and and Francis was talking to him like like he did didn't know who he was, and this is well into the film. <laughs> And, and the sound guy says, says, you know who I am, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the same. But, but it, because he'd never been on the set very much, he didn't know who people were. Like, so you know, but, uh, he would give directions through a speaker? Like, oh, speaker. you guys need yeah. to... <laughs> a, a, a big and a very loud speaker. And, and it was always set up where, where I mean, he could hear us because the camera was always pointed at the scene. Yeah. It wasn't rolling, but he could hear us. And, and the, he always had the... Boom! I put a mic where he could hear it, ooh, hear everything. Ooh, that could I mean, be not, dangerous. I mean, he didn't spy on us, but the yeah. mic was was where he could hear the set. And uh, I mean, it could be dangerous, but I mean, everybody knew it. But but, <laughs> but, That's but, good to know. but he had this big boombox speaker that was on the set, and when he talked, it was really loud sometimes. And uh, but I remember one day being right by it, and I and I turned it down like because it was ridiculous. And it wasn't three minutes later, and a guy came out of the silverfish and turned it back up again. It turns, <laughs> and it and it turns out that that was this guy's job to make sure oh. that to make sure that that all that stuff was working for Francis. And the, I forgot his name, but that and he even introduced him. He said that I'd like to I see know. his credit. Yeah, I forgot his name. But <laughs> I'm sure he got a credit, but he introduced himself. He said he said he said, well, we know when you do that, so we have come to. Wow. Francis wants it wants it louder, and uh, but it was it was interesting. But you know when he came out, and now the other thing about Francis was that 
he was very crew orientated. Like there were times when he, when, while we were rehearsing or doing something, he would go to the craft service vehicle and make dinner for people because he loved to cook and, or he would supervise a special dinner for people. He'd be in the, in the craft center making dinner for people. It was, That's I mean, awesome. it was very, it was a community that was very close knit. And, um, and I remember I was renting an apartment in Tulsa down by the river. There's a river that runs through Tulsa. It was a nice apartment, two, two bedrooms and a bedroom downstairs because my family was there for part of the time. But, uh, we had a party there pretty early on. And, um, you know, I invited, you know, the people that I knew around the camera stuff. And then people got wind of it and people started coming. And Francis came, too, like, to oh, the party. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think that. I was flabbergasted and he was more than welcome. But, but I remember we were sitting out on the, I had a, pa a deck that looked out over the river. And I was out there with him. And he goes, he's looking around. He goes, whose place is this anyway? And I go, it's mine. And he goes, he goes. Because am I paying you too much or something like that? <laughs> but he was joking. But he was always really funny. But but the fact that he showed up was was great. I I was thrilled, and I'm still thrilled that. He I mean, how up. many but, people can say that Francis Ford Coppola came to their house party? House, right? house party. Yes. Did he bring wine? You know what? He wasn't in the winery <laughs> business then. But I have been to. I do buy Coppola wine all the time, and I have been to his. <laughs> we've been to the his, winery. We've been up yeah. up north, and yeah. But, um, but, I mean, interesting enough, too, that Sophia was there, and she's now a director. Oh, yeah. Sophia was, like, 12 years old, and um, and he put her in the film a couple times. Like, there's a thing in a parking lot where she approaches the, all the guys in a car and asks for money and stuff. But um, but he, you know, he was putting in... His two sons were there. They were doing something on the set. And um, I remember coming down and having a... I had a sob that... Uh, that had been weathered and I was going to get it repainted. And um, and uh, they painted it for me. And I, when I went to go pick it up, I, I think it was Roman Coppola, his son, drove me there to get it. Like, oh, they, wow. It, I mean, it was just a... <laughs> It was just a nice group of people, like, and yeah. he 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 took me there to get it. Everybody knew everybody else, and um, that's cool. So, I mean, I met the sound guy that uh, sound guy then, and, the, and 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 worked with him several times after that. And then, um, and then when that film was over, I'm sure there's more to talk about. But we he told everybody that he was going to do Rumblefish, which was right starting right. We'll take a little hiatus. And he wanted the same crew. So, oh, that's uh, great. So Dusty hired me again. Steve Burham was the DP, and I've worked with Steve several times. And Steve's a great guy. He's been, he'd been around forever. And uh, he'd been involved with Francis on Apocalypse Now with stuff. And But uh, Steve's a great DP. And uh, <coughs> and I think last year he was honored at the uh, Kammermage in Poland. He gave an honorary me membership for his work you know, historically because... Steve is a really, he's a very personal guy, and uh, he would always, I mean, he was always in touch with his crew, and always, you know, you knew when something wasn't right or when it was, but but I was very impressed with his work, and um, <coughs> and still am. But anyway, uh, we started Rumblefish, which was, they decided was going to be black and white because of mm. the theme of it. So, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me. It was going to be black and white, so uh, it was no longer Panavision, but... Francis owned uh, some BL cameras, some Airy oh, cameras. Okay. So he pulled out, he pulled out his BL that we were going to use, and uh, 
But this was a BL that had a, a, a big blimp in front of the lens, over the lens. And, oh, over the lens, and, not in the <laughs> <back>. <laughs> No, cover the lens. And um, in order to do focus with it, you had to transfer the numbers under the lens of these little strips on the yeah. outside, see, and then line them up so they matched what was happening inside the thing. It was, I mean, it wasn't my problem, but it was Dusty's problem. But I remember that was a nightmare for him. doesn't sound know. fun at all. No, it was not fun. But I know when we switched over, I know Dusty wasn't happy, and some people weren't. But Francis owned the camera, and it was a way to do this film for less money, and, you know, it was a... You know, avoiding a big camera rental was a big deal. I mean, that's yeah. a big deal. So, whose lenses were they? His lenses as well. <laughs> I think they were. I think so, because he had bought he had bought a lot of stuff. I think, you know, back in starting with Godfather the trilogy, and then yeah. and then Apocalypse Now. That I think he used his cameras for that. I think. But, uh, and back then, you could probably get that camera for a decent amount of money. Yeah, maybe. You it know, was still. I mean, it was BLs only ten years kinda, old. Yeah, but I mean, then, but. But that, that, I mean, already it was, we, after using Panaflex, we were spoiled already. It yeah. was kind of a, it was kind of a tank, even though it was a good camera. Like, yeah, it, it was. It was heavy than hell. Yeah, it was heavy, yeah. The, the blimping system made it, made it more complicated. Awkward. So, yeah, awkward, yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's like having, a, you know, it, with Panaflex, having that, uh, uh, remember they had the lens heaters that you could put mm-hmm. on, you know, prime, and then what a pain in that, what oh, yeah. that was. Well, the heaters for that and the magazines, but uh, oh yeah, but but the heaters for the the lens, uh, if you if you put them down and didn't turn them off and let them cool down, they would melt together. Yeah, they because get hot. Yeah. yeah, I was working at the rental house and we get this this box that came back and I looked inside and it was I was like oh you know lens heaters and I opened it up and it was just like everything was just melt <laughs> the, melted together like oh god. It was, was a lens. it was a lens heater. Yeah. Anyway, now it's the container that it lives in heater. So. Yeah. But yeah, we uh, so we started Rumblefish, and that was the summer in Tulsa, and it was it was probably the hottest working. I'm sure it was the hottest working condition I'd ever been in. That it was, I mean, Tulsa in the summer is pretty brutal, and uh, you know, I, I just remember it was terribly uncomfortable, and uh, but the same it was the same crew and. And everybody knew each other. There were some great stories. And Francis, again, was, you know, there was, there was a lot of times when he would be out on the set during that. And um, I remember when, because he'd always have a video assist, which was fairly new at the time. But but I have pictures of him when he would watch the video assist outside. He'd cover himself and the things completely tent, just not a not a, a video village, but a Francis for Coppola tent. <laughs> it would be covered. Well, like the it old... Was, like the old uh, 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 cameras, cameras for photographing, yes. right? You'd yeah. put the cover it over. Very, yeah. It was very much like that, where, oh. where he'd be sitting there. There, there was no real video villages then, although we, although we had video assist. Did he and, just want to be able to see it himself? Yeah. No, he wanted to or, see it, period. period. Oh, okay. I, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know if he was, I'm, like, you know, controlling it. No, I think it was just because it was hot and bright oh, outside. Okay. But, but uh, I mean, it didn't make it any cooler. But uh, now Mitch was the... Um, was the video guy who got to know he's now a DP and you know he moved up and became an operator and DP and I've worked with him since then too but uh, anyway there's some great stories from that film and Francis he made the show he made it easy for everybody because he was involved and he knew everybody even though he was in the Silverfish a lot he he knew people and um, you could joke with him about stuff and um, 
I, I remember one particular day, uh, Dusty was on the crane and uh, getting focus marked or something, and um, and um, Francis yelled at him, kind of joking. He says, Francis, Dusty says, it's not all about focus, you know. You know like, and, and, uh, and, and Dusty yelled back, he goes, he goes, yeah, I know you learned that on One from the Heart or something like that, which is, I, I know it's kind of a dig, but I personally love One from the Heart. It's yeah, one of Francis's film. I mean, I love it. It's a musical. It's it's so different. I recommend, The music track is phenomenal, but I love that film. And But when Dusty came back at him like that, I thought, whoa. But but Francis, they they bantered. They laughed about it. But uh, he was that kind of a director where you could do that with. And, um, and then there was one night we were... Doing a close-up of Matt Dillon, and um, and Matt wanted to know uh, how how big how the, the size we were, where the frame was, and that's common. You know, actors usually yeah. want to know that. And and at this point, I mean, and Melinda and I talked to actors, and we at this point, it I would encourage them to know what the shot was, so they know what they're what they're up against. But back then, because the actors were so young, Francis didn't he didn't want them to know. He didn't want them to even think about that. And I remember her yelling and like Dusty went like this and him yelling at Dusty. He said, no, no. He said, don't ever tell him what, he said, don't ever tell the actors what side. He said afterwards, don't tell them. But, but, you know, I thought, you know, I was pretty new and I thought, well, is that just a, com is that just a common rule of thumb? But, but now I know that it's not, but right. that was his theory with working with kids and they were kids. Like, yeah, well, but I mean, give probably... it, give credit to Matt to be able to f you start to figure that out, you know, yes. because that is helpful. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, Matt had done two or three films. This is like his third or fourth film. Oh, okay. So, so he kind of got well. We did the Outsiders before that, so oh, he that's was, right. He knew that, and he'd done a. There was a film, a prequel to all of those films called Tex, another Susie Hinton story that was done before we ever got there. It was not us. It wasn't Coppola, but. But he did a film called Tex, which was about that character in Outsiders. But uh, I mean, it didn't. Not many people have ever seen it. But but he had he had some experience. But uh, but Francis knew they were young, and he, I think his his method was not to have them worry about that. Just you know, play act the scene, a, be the actor, play the scene yeah. like you're on a stage. You know, and that's and I think he was wise to do that. And um, and like I said, that's the first time in my experience that. I had ever thought about whether the actors wanted to know or did know, but now I know that you know years later that they should know, you know, and and yeah, if they helpful. want, if they want, it's helpful, and if they want to know, I'm going to tell them. So, but uh, but uh, some of them don't ask. Some of them already know. They're just yeah. they're in tune to that. They may they may walk by the monitor and look where the at the stand-ins when they come on a set. They'll look at them and see where the stand-ins and see what the shot is. So they'll already know. You know, like right. Yeah, but uh, but 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 Francis was a it was a great experience for me. It was like seven months in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We started in March and went through the summer. And uh, but you know it was it was to my to my pleasure. It was one of my early experiences, and I learned a lot from him. Well, and Tony and uh, John Landis. And like here I am, pretty new, and I'm working with these these guys that have really been around the block, you know, like, yeah. you know, especially Tony and Francis, they'd really been around the block. And I mean, Tony, uh, Tony Richardson has since died. He died in 91, I think like 10 years after that. But, but I mean, I didn't even know that I was, that I was in the, in the realm of this, these great directors, yeah. you know, and, uh, 
you know, it made my job easy. Did I learn to direct from them? Maybe, but it, but it, I learned a lot of a lot of things about how set it is run. And, and, and it's a big a deal. It's a big deal. And like the Francis films, the fact that people became a community. You know, I I think him showing up at my party, he knew that that was important. Like, you know, not because he was social and he liked that kind of stuff, but he he showed up at more than one party as the films went on. But uh, I think he knew that that kind of camaraderie mattered. Not did not only did he like it, but he knew that that mattered, and he yeah. did. Like, because we all respected that a lot of him making dinner for everybody was. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so, That's... I even have a I have a photograph of him. my son was like two years old then, and um, I have a photograph of him pushing my son on a swing at some one some weekend. <laughs> we all got, we all got together some weekend for a picnic, and he's pushing my kid on. This is Francis Coppola, and so yeah. So anyway, that's crazy. I mean, that was a big deal even then. It's yeah. a bigger deal now, but that was a big deal then. So, yeah, but you know, going back to what you said, uh, you know. Even at the start of my career, I mean, I can totally relate because those are those first, you know, half a dozen films or first three films, you're learning and absorbing so much. And Even more than you realize. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Absolutely. You're absorbing. And you're and with being with those directors and DP and the people you're worth, you're learning set etiquette you're learning how to act you're learning what's acceptable you're learning so much and every day you should be learning on a set right yeah and yeah. Uh, in those days you're just learning so much and yeah. it's also er every film after that you're getting a little more comfortable you're understanding you're and you're anticipating your anticipation gets better because you're now in a flow and you get to see how those directors work i mean my God, Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, that's a master class. <laughs> it was a master class. And he even said, I remember one day when I was slating, he, or I was teaching a PA how to slate or something, and he, and he was watching, and he, he said to us, he said, he, says, he said, you know, someday you won't need that. And I, and I, I said, what? Well, he says, what are you guys going to do later when we don't need all that stuff? And he's talking mostly, we, he was very big on having PAs and stuff. And... And I was like, I don't know. So then he, he said, well, he said, I would suggest everybody to learn to write. He says, because, he said, there'll come a day when this process becomes really easy. And like, and, and boy, was he right about that. Like, you could, make a, you could make a film on your iPhone. We didn't know what, anything about that then. But right. he, knew about, he knew about video and stuff. But he <laughs> knew that, that someday that this would be easy. And, and he said that. And like he said, he said, people should be learning to write because... You know, you'll be able to get tell your story someday, more likely than you are now. And, and this was like 1982 or 81, so he knew. And, you know, and that always resonated in in my head because now, like I tell people, you know, if you don't have that budget, if you want to make a little short film, use your freaking i i yeah. 14 or whatever because the quality of it is pretty damn good. You know, just get a good sound person and. You know, and you, you, nowadays you barely need to light some of the digital stuff. You just you, you turn up the turn up the ASA or the DIN. Well, and, or you, and you get a bounce board, right? Yeah. You know, for some yeah. fill, yeah. and I mean, yeah. it, it really is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's amazing, it, and it's all it's about the story. But Francis <laughs> didn't realize that there would be also AI. Uh, well, I think he probably realized it, but we didn't. We didn't. 
Oh, I don't know if he did or not, but it certainly wasn't part of the conversation. Not yeah. Bad. No. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I think we did one effects, actual effects shot in Rumblefish where um, there's a shot where the the fish are actually swimming in a tank in front of the scene, which is all black and white, and they colorized the fish. Yeah, I remember and, that. And it was the only shot in the movie that was colorized, but that was a, a post thing that they did. It was pretty, it worked pretty good, actually. I don't, I don't remember, I th we might have shot it in color, and then they removed the color from the, I don't remember how we did it, but mm -hmm. but but it was, that was my first experience with anything that was post, you know, anything that was after camera, everything I'd have been doing up that point was camera. And, uh, yeah. You know, and it's kind of nice, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, really it is. The, the films that we've done and I've worked on that have been just film and we, you know, there's no CGI and there's no green screen or all this other stuff. It's actually kind of nice. Yeah, but you and I, speak jumping down the line, had done a lot of films with effects and green screen. Yeah. A lot of them. And, uh, but that's something to learn too, and like, yes. I mean, I mean, now in my late in my career, I know how to light a green screen right. because I've I've seen the best people do it, and uh, that's true. You know, and I'm seeing a lot of amateurs that don't know how to do it because, yeah. Well, I won't even get into that. No, but, we won't go but, there. But yeah. it, they do. It does stick out. Yeah, I mean, it does stick out. And especially but, when, like you said, we've been, you know, we've seen the best do it, yeah. and then you know your eye gets trained to that. And now when it, you're like, oh. Yeah, Tom Ackerman was probably one of the, the best of, of that. He re, he really understood that process. And we yes. worked for Tom Ackerman a lot, and uh, he's a DP. And uh, I mean, he 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 boosted Linda and I's career along all during the '90s. But but we did a lot of green screen, and he really understood it and knew how to do yes. it. And, and and I learned a lot about that. And, um, but what I'll also say about working with directors like Tony Richardson and Francis was that. You know, not only do you learn some things, you know, what because the sets are are run so well, you don't notice the issue any issues. Like right. it is, it's later when you wind up working with directors <laughs> that are not very good that you remember. Oh well, like Francis wouldn't have done that, but you realize how good that was because yes. I mean, you know, I can't name a lot. I you know, I can name only a handful of directors that I didn't respect, but there weren't a lot of them. But but you know when things aren't going well. You you remember how well it went when the director was running the set and you didn't hear it. It was just happening, and you know right. that's why it was just happening. You know, people like Francis and Tony and James L. Brooks, segue, what did that, and and they knew how to do it. So anyway, yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, we're almost out of time, and we yeah. have more to talk about. So we'll do another podcast and we'll keep talking to Steve and I think we've learned a lot and I I think uh, if you haven't followed along you can uh, always pull up your IMDB when we're doing a podcast just because we're going to be throwing out names and movies and you know all of that great stuff so uh, if you're following along we talked about John Landis Tony Richardson and Francis Ford Coppola Right. Also, I, I named some films in there. Uh, the names that I did, that, that I threw out there, I totally recommend them. So the, I mean, I mean, the loved one, Tony Richardson, it's just brilliant and it's funny. It's it's a dark comedy, but it's brilliant. And uh, I recommend that totally. And The Conversation, Francis, a wonderful film. So, yeah. Anyway. And, and if, you're, if you're a film buff and you're interested, 
or, or even if you're interested in getting in the film business, look at the old films. Look at some of these classic, because you're going to learn. The more films you watch and the more films you dissect and really pay attention to, you're going to learn, right? And and watch the credits. And watch <laughs> and remember, the credits. And, and remember who the directors were so you don't show up on a set and not know who they are. <laughs> Absolutely. No, like I mean, I'm, we didn't have IMVD, but uh, you do, so there's no, yeah. Um, yeah. you know. But I mean, even no, then, I, yeah. I could have paid attention more. I didn't, but... Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm on the set with Tony Richardson not having any idea who he was, but now yeah. I know. And uh, it always starts at the top. So the a- the attitude, how things go on a set, is always going to start at the top. So you, you can walk into a production office when you're signing your deal or picking things up, and you get a feeling right away for how things are going to be going the yeah. rest of the shoot, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. All right, so we're going to come back with another podcast, and we're going to continue talking to Steve about uh, the directors, the influential directors that he worked with. So if you want to find out um, how to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and uh, TikTok, and it's at TheFilm50. Our website is TheFilm50.com. We're also on Facebook at TheFilm5.0. And if you want to find this podcast or any of our podcasts, you can go to our website or you can go to Apple or wherever you get your podcast. So if you want to follow us and you want to like, follow, and share us, that would be great. So for this episode, uh, we want to say thank you and uh, we'll see you on another Film 5.0 podcast.